Hello there and welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm Sarah from Sarah Faruya Coaching and this is the Legends Podcast. I believe there are many, many ways to lead a life and everybody has stories and I want to tell them and share them. These legends are a collection of people who I have found during my 20 years in Tokyo and before. All of them are brilliant people. And when I became bored with reading another billionaire's biography, I thought I want to tell the stories of the people who I meet who are absolutely fascinating, but you won't see on your regular podcast interview. They have overcome obstacles, both systemic and internal, and we cover all kinds of things from creativity, grief, racism, business, disaster, loss, trolling, infertility, farming, eating disorder, eco-feminism, and more. We have elite athletes, people who live on Zen temples in remote parts of Japan, BBC newscaster to Taekwondo champion. Please enjoy these amazing stories from what they've overcome, from what they've built, from what they've created, from the way that they talk. I'm just delighted thinking about it. So please get stuck in and enjoy this next legend. Hello, everybody, and welcome, welcome, welcome to this The Legends podcast with me, Sarah from Sarah Faruya Coaching. I believe there are many ways to lead a life and everybody has stories and I want to tell them. And today I am so, so, so excited to introduce to you my finale, season finale, which is the amazing Catherine North. Hi, Catherine. Hello. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Um, so um, I'll just give Catherine a quick bio, uh, read her bio for you. But first, I just want to give you a fun fact, which is that um, I think I was in your first ever Queen Sweep. Yes. Um, and it was, I think, $38. And I remember you saying that that was the hardest $38 you ever had to charge. For yes. hardest money you ever had to charge. So I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful that I got you at that price point. <laughs> and yeah, um, that was a good deal. Yeah, it was an excellent deal. And then also, uh, but that was about 11 or 12 years ago. Um, but you, you were also the first kind of one year coaching program that I spent thousands of dollars on as well. So it was like, I feel like we've been through some kind of progress together. And I think that was the it's first like we one. We grew year. up together. Yes, we did. We grew yes. up together. We grew yeah. up together. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Amazing. So um, if you don't know Catherine, I'm going to read uh, her bio for you now. So, uh, hi, I'm Catherine. She's a queer feminist, mother of five, heathen mystic, cries at diaper commercials. Okay, she cries at all commercials. Um, but she's a writer, a coach, mother of five. She helps fierce, secretly tender women declare dominion over their own lives. She's the author of a personal memoir about growing up evangelical and ending up a heathen mystic. Her private clients are ambitious, successful women. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> they were way too smart for most of the self-help aisle, but they secretly yearn for terribly mortifying things like more magic, more peace, and a fairy godmother. More than 8,000 women have used her Queen Sweet program to clear, clear clutter and make beauty. Practical Magic for Secret Mystics is about energetic boundaries. I love that one. And she writes a secret blog with secret poems called Rich, Juicy, Starry Beauty. 
uh, there's so, so, so much more. Um, I think the most current thing here is uh, she also wrote a book for parents and kids confronted by terrible news about Santa. Catherine lives on Salt Spring Island off the coast of Canada with her husband, Nick North, five kids and many chickens. Well, that sounds like a pretty straightforward story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's start off with can you tell me a story that had an impact on you, Catherine, or that had some kind of, yeah, that, that created some kind of impact in your life? Oh, I would love to be telling a story. I love stories. Yeah, I know. Once upon a time, there was a little girl who had a terrible, terrible secret. And this little girl's secret was that she knew that no matter how many times she had asked, no matter how many times she had prayed, she knew the words to the prayer, dear Jesus, please come into my heart and save me so I don't have to go to hell. Please, 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 amen. No matter how many times she said it, she knew it didn't take. Now this was very bad news for this little girl because in addition to the whole like hellfire thing, this little girl, grew up in the church, steeped in the church, deep in the church. Her parents were Christian missionaries and they had picked up their family and gone to another country and spent their whole lives bringing Jesus to people. But this little girl could not get Jesus into her heart and she knew it and it was so scary and it was the worst secret. This little girl, of course, is me. Mm -hmm. And I went from being so afraid of myself, so afraid of all the terrible things I was sure lived inside myself and the good things that I couldn't get into me, even though I tried and tried and tried. I went from being that scared little girl to being me now, who is actually still scared of all kinds of things. I'm scared of bugs mm -hmm. and ghosts and scary movies and calling the insurance company and basically, you know, generalized anxiety. It's, it's good times, <laughs> but um, I'm not afraid of my own heart anymore. Mm. I'm not afraid anymore of my own self. That was the fucking journey of a lifetime, my friends. <laughs> Oh my God, I've got goosebumps <laughs> all over my body, FBGs, full body goosebumps. And yeah, that that's that for me was a turning point as well. But that didn't happen for me. I, I remember one day just thinking, I'm all right. I'm all right. Apart from the bits that aren't all right. And that's the good thing. It's like, <laughs> then you can identify the bad behavior, right? <laughs> it's like, I'm all right. And then it was like, oh, I actually quite like myself. My heart is true. Mm. And from there, there's so much more available. What do you think? Yeah. 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 I love that. My heart is true. Yeah. And it was funny because I had to tell all the, not all, but I had to tell a lot of those terrible secrets mm -hmm. in order for my heart to be true. Mm -hmm. And now my heart is true, but that's mm -hmm. partly because I've spoken some of the truths that I thought would bring the whole world crashing down. And in fact, some of my truths did bring some of my worlds crashing down, but it turns out that you can survive that. And even some of the people you love can survive that. And it's worth telling them. And then your heart is true. 
Hmm. So tell us more. I mean, it's all in here. And I mean, this isn't like a, this isn't a, uh, uh, yes, yes, yes. I'm going to be giving this one away, by the way. Um, oh, wonderful. Yeah. I bought, I bought stacks of them when you, when it first came out, bought loads and just started kind of giving them away to people. Oh, thank you. And then, so I'm probably the spike in your sales in Japan. Yes. <laughs> um, but, um, then, um, but then, um, yeah, and then I've got my own copy somewhere floating around, but this is my giveaway copy. So, um, but why don't you tell us, tell us more about your childhood? I mean, a lot of it is in here, but tell us more about your childhood, your background and your family and your, you know, your, I say ancestry, but like, what, what's the, what's your background? Or like, what's your, what's your story there? How do you tell yeah. that story? Yeah. So when I was five years old, my parents moved our family from Indianapolis, Indiana, in the U.S., to uh, Tokyo, Japan, Yokohama, technically, but mm -hmm. to the big city of Japan. And my parents are both from Kentucky. Mm -hmm. um, they are both small town kids. And this was, you know, pre-internet, mm -hmm. pre-international phone calls, pre-cell phones, pre-FaceTime, pre-Zoom. Um, and I don't think it is possible to imagine, like I truly, I have a good imagination, but I don't think I can actually imagine what a leap of faith that must have been for them in every way. They had never been themselves. They had never left the country, I don't think. Um, and they packed us up. They had two little kids and they packed up everything and shipped it across the world on a ship and we got on a plane and we landed in Tokyo, Japan to start this totally new life. So I went off to Japanese kindergarten, my parents entered language school and we embarked on this totally new chapter. And I do talk, you know, this is, this is my story um, of that time and what it was like to be one little blonde because I had I had bright blonde, really frizzy big hair um, <laughs> as a little girl. And so not only did I stick out because I was the only foreigner among thousands of Japanese students, but like I stuck out like it was like it was like I walked around with a spotlight on me. I, I had this like, you know, these blue eyes and this really pale skin and like this really huge like mop of 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 hair. And it did not all go well. <laughs> it didn't go smoothly. It was not the smooth assimilation um, that I think every parent wants oh, yeah. for their kid. Um, and I went from, from that Japanese school experience through a series of various small and somewhat odd schools. There was the homeschooling. There was the extremely uh, how shall I say, nut job, fundy, uh, <laughs> charismatic Christians. There was a wonderful one-room schoolhouse. There were years where we would pop back into the States and I would attend public school in the States. There was the super fancy um, private international school. I went through, I think, nine, I believe going into grade nine, that was my ninth school. So it was, it was a lot of hopping, a lot of moving, a lot of changing, and a lot of learning to become a chameleon so that I could survive in whatever mm -hmm. different space I was in. 
Um, plus, you know, I had this terrible, terrible secret, right? That, yeah, yeah. That I wasn't one of Jesus's little lambs. Um, had to keep that hidden. So I got very good at making masks. Very good at at making um, like different sort of faces, you know, and I didn't think of it as being two-faced or duplicitous. It was really just a survival mechanism for me. And unlike most of my classmates graduating from my Christian high school in Japan, instead of going off to a religious school, I went off to um, a college called Bryn Mawr, which I was warned by many of the people in my quite lovely, wonderful religious community was full of witches and heretics and feminists. God, the feminists. And I was like, sign me up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was that was my launch pad. Right. And so like it's really interesting you should say that that you developed all these different kind of faces and masks for different situations and mm -hmm. you know if we if we look at it from this like really odd kind of black and white thing it's like it sounds quite duplicitous or two-faced or all this kind of stuff but actually there's there's two things I want to flag here and you can tell me where I'm wrong I learned that from you is um, <laughs> um I believe it was Martha Beck's phrase yes I was uh, yes you were channeling, channeling Martha and then where credit uh, is due uh, the circle is complete. So um, <laughs> um, TPO, time, place, occasion, um, it, it, and, and in Japan as well, there's no shame in having different faces for different things. You just like you just meet the situation with the with the face that's appropriate for that situation. Tell me where I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. So like for me, that doesn't these days. It doesn't sound too too difficult but where it can undo people is I know I have one client who says she's a shapeshifter and she doesn't know who she is but it sounds to me like you knew who you were in your core but you were just kind of you were aware that there were certain certain things to 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 manage there you know I don't know if I knew who I was in my core I knew I was uh -huh. very afraid of what I might find at my core Ooh. I was very afraid that it would turn out that I was awful and evil yeah. and wrong and selfish yeah. and Same. horrible and stupid and embarrassing and an imposter and a liar and you know right all those secret secret fears and so the shape shifting which first of all was a really healthy adaptive situation for a uh -huh. little kid who's navigating you know just to begin with two different cultures yeah. Um, right. And then, you know, there's there's being a foreigner in Japan and then there was returning to the United States where it was like, oh, you're home at this place that I didn't remember. Yeah. Right. And there was the way I looked versus what I carried inside of me, which were often at odds. There was the fact that um, I certainly wasn't Japanese, but I also didn't fit with most of the foreign kids who lived there. Right. Like there was sort of that healthy adaptive aspect. Yeah. Um, which is something that's really common among what I've now know to call third culture kids, which are yeah. kids who kind of float between cultures and develop kind of a culture of, of their own that exists separate from and outside of the different cultures and um, places that they live. 
but then there was the, the shadowy aspect, the mm-hmm. shape shifting that was not about adapting to thrive in different situations, but that was about covering and hiding and hoping that maybe if I could shape shift enough, if I could be good enough, if I could be just right, if I could be a good enough student, if my Japanese would be good enough, if I could be a good enough Christian girl, if I could be virtuous and pure enough, if I could do all those things that maybe I could outrun this thing that I was afraid was inside myself. Yeah. Wow. It's really interesting. I mean, our stories are quite similar in some ways. I was raised a Roman Catholic and I never felt it was interesting because we did, we weren't raised with hellfire. Mm. I don't remember much stuff about hell. Mm. I I remember a lot of devotion to Mary as Catholics Mm. are known for Mm -hmm. and um, all that. But I really felt like I wanted to be a priest when I was 17 and I really felt like a really strong connection. And then when, Mm. when I went to university, I thought, hang on a second. What? why can't I be a priest? Oh, this is, this is, oh, hang on a second. Margaret Thatcher's the, the prime minister. The queen is the queen, the head of state. What's going on? When can I, when do I get to get access to poping? <laughs> <laughs> when indeed. <laughs> when is this? And then I was like, okay, so I was studying psychology. So I wrote a piece, I wrote an extended essay about, um, I called it the female Christa and it was all about women in Christianity. And I was talking to the priests and all the ecumenical staff on, and then I just read one piece of information that just, that was it. I was done. There was just was one it? piece. It was something about 5,000 years ago in order to politically gather the tribes of the desert uh, of the Middle East. There was all these different tribes, all worshiping different gods, and multiple, multiple gods that the, the birth of Judaism, monotheism or Juda- Judaic monotheism was, um, Somebody was like, we need to corral the, all these all these different tribes. How can we do that? Oh, let's say there's one God and they're not allowed to worship the other ones, right? How are we going to make this work? And as soon as I read that, I was like, this seems really logical. This would be a brilliant way to corral all the tribes of the desert. And then like that snapped something. And then I went on this kind of hunt. And then I met like, so, you know, I talked to the Catholic priest, I talked to the Methodist priest, I talked to the Church of England priest, I talked to the uh, United Reformed priest, and he said to me, and this this is going to make you laugh because you will understand this, he, and we were t- I was talking about women in the church and blah, 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 and he goes, well, actually, I've got a secret, <laughs> right? And I was like, what? And he goes, actually, next week, the United Reformed Church is, is, um, is voting on whether or not to let gay, gay, um, marry, uh, gay couples who live together to be for, for priests to be openly gay and mm-hmm. I live with my partner and if they say no then I'm leaving the church and mm-hmm. I was like oh my oh my god this is this is what is going on here I'm not allowed to be a priest this isn't a what's going and I just it just blew my mind and then I went down the rabbit hole rabbit hole it was a terrible essay from a psychological perspective I mean you know but for, <laughs> but I just dug really deep and I was reading all these books like the priests were they had a library and there was one where like that there was a mathematical formula for the probability of god existing and it came out that the probability that god exists is equals true because of the kind of statistics and again i was studying psychology i know statistics so i was like 
this strikes me as absolute bullshit. <laughs> How can you do a statistical just because so many people follow? It's like it doesn't. And so it just something snapped. So it, first of all, it was about the tribes of the desert. And then as I dug deeper, it was just like, what is this just seems cruel and weird. And then, you know, and then I kind of did. I'm so sure what you did, which is that kind of undoing of it all as well. And I miss it, Catherine. I miss the I miss the. Um, I miss the community. I miss holding the newborn baby and going and visiting the old granny from the church. I miss that kind of range of people in my life and the unconditional support that I got in there as well. But I think it's a slightly different story, but it was like, <laughs> does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> well, and the thing I think that is so uh, tricky with these religions that we've grown up with is that that's our only framework for so much of those good things that you just talked about. Yes. Community, um, yes. safety nets for the vulnerable people amongst us, connection, ritual, coming of age, rites of passage, um, loyalty, right? Like there's so many things that once kind of co-opted by religion, it can be really hard to figure out how to create those things from scratch again. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can start a coaching practice. So <laughs> you can. You can. It's a pretty amazing way to gather a whole bunch of really remarkable people. <laughs> and yeah, um, without becoming culty, that's what I've told my mastermind group. Like if ever I start to sound culty or weird, you've got to let me know. <laughs> <laughs> got to let me know. Yeah. So what happens there? I mean, there is, I, I highly recommend it. I don't want to kind of stop too far long on this because I really want people to read the book I read this in two sittings and I'm the slowest reader Aww, so I'm you. the slowest reader um but um um so like what what happens next then so you you're you're in Japan oh there's some really horrifying stories in here as well about Japanese school and humiliating people in front of people that really broke my heart it really broke my heart I don't think it's typical of everything but it's just like whoa this is I want to go and find that poor little boy and give him a cuddle and say, I'm sorry, that was not your fault, mate. Maybe I can do it in the ether. So anyway, <laughs> but this is a teaser. Um, what happens next then? So you, you do you graduate high school in Japan and then you go to Bryn Mawr mm -hmm. and then what happens next? Well, so here I am at this amazing feminist, like legendary feminist, you know, what? place of ideas and thinking and new horizons. And so, of course, what I do is I join the Bible study <laughs> because I was so afraid, I was scared. I so desperately wanted that bigger world. And I was also so afraid. And I, I had gone out into the world and I found myself very small in it. Mm -hmm. And so in the book, I tell the story of how I ended up marrying another Christian. He had actually been a counselor at one of the Christian camps I had attended as a high schooler. He was only a couple years older than me. But um, two people who never, ever, ever should have gotten married because of the kind of purity culture that we were in, where like the, the biggest thing, it didn't really matter if you you know, lied or murdered. That's, I'm totally exaggerating, but it kind yeah. of felt like it didn't really matter what you did as long as you didn't have sex, don't have sex. Well, we didn't have sex. So instead we got married, which was so much worse, so much more destructive. So 21 years old, I haven't even finished university yet. And I'm married to this other Christian. And both of us have done zero work on our own trauma or history. 
We have no coping skills or tools. Um, we should never have gotten married in the first place. I'm 21, he was like 23. As you can imagine, it did not go well. No. <laughs> and it didn't go well quickly, is that right? It didn't go well quickly. <laughs> um, yeah, so I did manage to finish school, so that was good. And then I proceeded to just sort of go like this. I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. I couldn't figure out why when I was married and part of this wonderful church and working on all these social justice causes that I really cared about and part of this incredible community where we would make pesto from each other's gardens. And we did have so much of that incredible community um, that you were talking about why I wanted to die all the time. Mm. And so much of this book is my struggle to parse out in a belief system that told me that my virginity, then my continued allegiance to marriage, no matter how terrible, and it wasn't that my ex-husband was a terrible person, just to be clear. It was that together we created a terrible marriage because we had no idea what we were doing. But I had been, I had believed so deeply that my virginity and then my loyalty to this system of marriage was the most valuable thing I had to bring to the table. That I squelched everything in me that was saying, get out, this is not working. This is not who you want to be. I was working at this foundation, which does great and amazing work, but I was so miserable. I wore a suit and pantyhose and heels, and I worked in an office, and I was basically a secretary, and I felt like I was dying on the inside, and I finally came to a crisis, and I won't ruin it for you because it's a, it's a good story, I got to tell you, um, <laughs> but I finally came to a crisis moment where I realized I have to do something drastic in my life mm. or I think I might die. Mm. Like I really thought I might end my life. I thought about it a lot. And even at that point, I still couldn't break outside of that incredibly tight prison of thought. So instead of being like, I should leave this marriage and this life that is strangling me to death, and I should go and live and be free. I didn't frame it in those terms. I framed it in the terms of I can do bad things and be a bad person, but live and maybe ultimately go to hell, but at least live a little bit longer. Or I can be good, but I'll probably die because that is how unhappy I am, which is so absurd. Like it doesn't even make any sense. It's so illogical, but that was my truth. Mm. So not surprisingly, given how poorly I had framed the whole thing, the only way I managed to get out was very messily. I made really bad choices. Again, I was, what, 23 at this point? Mm -hmm. Maybe 24. Um, and I made a big mess and I blew up my life and I blew up my marriage and I left my job and I left Philadelphia where I was living and I moved to Chicago and I moved in with my little brother who was a college student and I slept on the floor on a mattress and I smoked a million cigarettes and I drank terrible gin and I was really bad for the first time in my life. And I had sex with someone who I was not married to and I did all the bad things. 
and I finally started to feel better. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm like, yeah, that's the part in the film where I'm like standing (laughs) going, yes, yes, yes. (laughs) I also started going to therapy. That definitely was part of it. Oh my gosh. The cigarettes and the bad things, although they were kind of, you know, good medicine too. It was a good counterbalance to this yeah. life, like intense virtue that I had tried so hard to live. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, we call it numbing and all this kind of stuff, but, you know, sometimes you need a little helping hand. They call it mother's little helper. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you know what? I've never realized this before, but when you said the word virginity, I got a literal visceral feeling come up through my body. I was like, oh, God, what a word. It's a weird yeah. one, isn't it? It's a weird Seriously? one. Yeah. <laughs> Look at your face. Your eyebrows go up. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, what a, what a, it's a funny thing, isn't it? This obsession with, with not allowing people to just live freely in their bodies without like make, making it their business. Like, it's just none of my business, right? Somebody else's body is literally none of my business unless it's going into mine. That's or, or on it or something. I don't know. It's weird. Why do you yeah. think that's developed, Catherine? I mean, well, I don't know. There's yeah, that's like an hour that's long. A big question, isn't it? No, like it's, it's more university than that. <laughs> But I will say, yeah, women's bodies are potent territory. Oh yeah. You could even say that they have magical powers, oh and God. so the urge to control them, I think, is about power. I've got goosebumps all over my body. I think we've got your tagline. Women's bodies are potent territory. (laughs) I'm going to be doing rude things all day now. (laughs) That's a turn on. (laughs) I'm keeping that in. (laughs) Um, And the other thing is, what released you from your prison of thoughts? But I think you've answered that. Cigarettes, gin, therapy, and uh, your brother's floor. But, but first, what, pure desperation. Oh, but first, pure desperation. I think that was maybe the only thing that could have done it. That's what's so funny, right? Is looking back, I felt like life was torturing me. But actually, that was the most benevolent thing that could have happened to me was that I finally got miserable enough that I was willing to spring myself out of the prison because I wasn't in a real prison, right? I wasn't, I wasn't the victim of like political oppression or you know, there's so many forms of barbarism and violence, and I wasn't suffering from any of those. Mine was self-created. Talk about the ultimate privilege. But I was in it. It was still real, even though I had created it for myself. And I had to get really, really, really miserable before I was willing to break out of it. So I made a lot of messes. I made big, messy mistakes. Um, I did the best I could. It wasn't great, but I did it. I got out. And then I went from being this like beatnik. (laughs) I worked at a bookstore because I got so many, I could get like really cheap books. Plus I was around words all day long. And I went to therapy and I was bad and irresponsible. And then I ended up back in Japan, partly to make peace with my past. And partly because I didn't know what I was doing. And Japan had had this kind of pull on me my whole life. It was where I grew up. It was where I was both very visibly a stranger, but also felt in some ways the most at home of anywhere Mm -hmm. I had ever felt. 
So I went back to Japan. I signed up with a modeling agency to make some money. And I accidentally found myself a working actor traveling with a theater crew or like theater, not crew. There was a crew, but what do you call it? Theater troupe um, all around Japan. And I did that for several years. I sort of accidentally ended up back in Japan. And now accidentally ended up back in Japan for how many years though? Because it wasn't until you were in your 30s that then you, well, I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff that happens in the middle of this. So let's do a mm -hmm. quick, a quick, there's some pregnancies, mm -hmm. a baby, mm -hmm. a partnership. There's lots mm -hmm. of great fun. I'm just going to give a shout out to one of our, both of our favorite bars, which is I believe where we very first met, which is called the Pink Cow, <laughs> uh, which was a very famous bar for um, non-Japanese, uh, the international community, arty, art, art kind of community in, in, in Tokyo. Mm -hmm. um, not just non-Japanese, sorry, the international community. But um, yeah, so Tell, just take us a, a sweep us through this because this is such an interesting time as well. And this is the I met you in the middle of this. Yeah, I know. I was like, and then somewhere in there we met. I know. Yeah, well, such a funny story about meeting your mum. But please, please go and oh boy, go and oh, I Okay, I this is where I this is where I go to confession with you. Okay, so go on, go on. Oh my gosh. Okay, so I go back to Japan. I think it's just going to be for a summer. Um, I end up getting cast in a play. And, and, you know, the funny thing about learning to do many, many faces is you're basically teaching yourself to act, right? You're always acting in every moment. And so it turned out that I had like done a very unorthodox actor's training mm. in my own life. And so then I started getting paid to act, even though I wasn't professionally trained. So I think I toured with the theater company for two years. Um, and then I ended up starting to do voice work and I would pick up the odd interpreting job here and there, or, and I was, I did some freelance translating and it was just a big mishmash. Oh, I did a little bit of consulting in there. I don't even know. I went to <laughs> parties. <laughs> I did get pregnant and had an abortion and a spiritual epiphany that became a, a one of the big, um, stories that I told in this book, because surprisingly enough, my, my windy path ultimately led me back to a deep connection with spirit, but it bore no resemblance to any of the Sunday school teachings that I had grown up with. Mm -hmm. So that was sort of happening behind the scenes publicly. I was working as an actor. I was, I helped, I co-wrote and produced a play that I was also in. It was, a, it was a busy time. It was a fun time. Um, I didn't know what I was doing in a cosmic sense, but I was having a grand old time. Then I got pregnant and decided, not decided so much as new, that I was ready to be a mom. Mm -hmm. I was going to be a mom and this was my kid. Mm -hmm. And so my partner at the time and I um, made a family and I kept working. I had a baby. I was a working mom. I went to few where we got to know each other better. Yeah. Um, and, and that sort of carried on right up until the earthquake, which is kind of the, the ending and the beginning of a new chapter. But, but tell me about meeting my mom. <laughs> so I think we, I think we, I think it was Adrienne Gilliver was putting on some kind of, uh, uh, um, not webinar. What do we, what did we call them before they were online seminar there right. about like uh, some kind people of people gathered in rooms. It was very, <laughs> The meme, there was yeah. 
meat bodies everywhere. And um, you said, oh, this is my mum. So I went straight into kind of like Liverpool, like Liverpool mode and was like, oh, hiya, love, how are you? Like this. And she was like, I'm fine. And I was like, oh, how are you enjoying Japan? And she went, yeah, fine. And I was like, how long have you been here? And she goes, 25 years. <laughs> God. didn't know how to didn't know where to take it from there because I was <laughs> expecting to be like are you enjoying your stay like that and she goes 25 years and I was like oh <laughs> <laughs> I was just so embarrassed and it just was one of those moments like why do you behave like that why do you be like I in love when you meet somebody who's over 50 like I'm 50 this year and it's like your mum was probably about the same age as I am now she's <laughs> like I in love how are you oh are you enjoying your stay how long have you been here 25 years <laughs> I'm just going the bar <laughs> so embarrassing that's so, so funny I you know, was oblivious. I didn't even. No, didn't no even blip. Yeah. I don't think you were there. <laughs> you may not even have you introduced, and then you know how it is. Like you're over there yeah. talking to somebody, and I'm there with your mom, and I was just yeah. like, oh my god. I mean, well intentioned again. Like then, I was just like mortified and embarrassed. What's wrong with me? There's something wrong with me. Now I'm like, you were just being kind and polite. You were just being the best possible version of yourself you could, given the circumstances. Yeah. But like, still, I was. It, but it didn't teach me not to be silly like that and just to talk to people like normal people. I <laughs> 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 <And> love. <laughs> so, Mrs. Kinecki, oh. I'm so sorry. <laughs> My mom is a total badass. She speaks and reads and writes Japanese like nobody's business. Like yeah. she's amazing. Well, tell me about your mom and dad briefly now, because they are really like they are just such lovely parents. I mean, they've that they, they like. I don't know. I mean, I, I want to get as quickly as possible to your family now, because I know that like you and your husband have blended your family together, mm -hmm. and but and you don't like anybody who doesn't know you wouldn't know which kids came out of which body and I love that it's so delicious I was staying with a anyway um I was staying with a movie star a couple of years ago uh, I'm not saying this to try and name drop or anything like, like that. as one does as well it's just a movie star it's not yeah it's not what you know it's who you know and so um and she was talking about how she has two kids um but that they're the but they're her husband's bio kids right I don't know if that's what you call them, but anyway, that's what that's where I'm going with it. Mm -hmm. And like, and how her mum doesn't quite kind of treat them like they're hers too. Mm. And so I actually sent her a, a link to your film. Uh, um, what was the film called? The, a beautiful, just family? another beautiful family, just another beautiful family, and said like, I'm sending you this not because you're, and we'll get to this. This this woman is also a trans rights um, campaigner as well, um, but. Um, she but not because of, I'm not sending this to you because of that I'm sending this to you because of how they behave with the family and because of what you said I treat I I think you I treat your kids like your kids if that makes sense mm. I don't know it's it's a weird thing I'm I mean I'm just learning all this stuff absorbing all this stuff because there's so many different ways to lead a life and I learned one way basically which was you know 2.4 kids church uh 2.4 university good job 2.4 kids rinse repeat do you know what I mean that was the mm -hmm. that was the kind of what I was I think that's what my parents were kind of hoping for for me mm -hmm. um as as it happens they've got uh one <laughs> me and my brother are both married to Japanese men 
he lives in London. <laughs> We've got no kids between us mm -hmm. and I live here in Japan. I don't quite think that was in their kind of dreams. <laughs> or maybe it was. And they're just like, yes, they don't live near us. We don't have that pressure. No grandchildren to look after. <laughs> Who knows? What am I making a assumptions about? Anyway, back to you, Catherine. And <laughs> um, what was the question I asked you? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. So, I have no idea. So you, so you're living with your partner, um, and you are. Uh, well, let's fast forward a little bit because yeah, let's, let's happen. Yeah. Yes. So. Oh yeah, your parents. That's right. Like, oh, yeah, okay. Oh, so uh, my parents. Point. So when I went back to Japan, we, um, we reconciled. I mm -hmm. don't know that we would ever say actually that we were not reconciled, but there was distance for sure. But we we reconnected. And um, I tell the story in the book of how and why that was possible. And I'm very close now to my parents. They are true believers. I'm not a Christian, uh, but they have true faith. They live what they believe. They live in integrity. They model kindness and inclusivity. And they have loved me and my siblings, even though I think, like you said, where we've ended up probably is not what they had in mind for us. So my parents are like walking, talking, living, breathing, loving beings, and I adore them. But that doesn't mean that it was always easy, right? Yeah. Certainly not for them. And 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 it's it can get messy. Yeah. So 2011, I have become trained as a coach, even though I have no intention of really becoming a coach because it sounded really interesting. I'm still doing this weird mishmash of consulting and voiceovers. I have this four-year-old is having a great time in Tokyo and the earthquake happened. And I think in that moment, I was on the 16th floor with my little girl and I thought that was it. I thought we were going to die. And, and 16 floors up, you know, it felt really dramatic. It felt the building moved. It was really scary. And I think of that moment as the great shakeup in my life. And I really feel that some energetic cord that connected me to Japan was cut in that moment. Mm. And a few days later, I packed a suitcase and I took my little girl and with my partner's, you know, blessing and participation, she and I went to Portland, Oregon, where I ended up on my brother's floor on a mattress again. again. <laughs> this is, this is the theme. Thanks, Dan. Um, thinking again it was just for a couple of weeks until everything quieted down and then ended up staying and making a whole new life there and reinventing myself as a coach and working on my writing and living very happily in Portland as a solo mom for five happy years and then I found myself unexpectedly falling in love I was almost 40 years old. I didn't believe in romantic love. I was totally happy. I wasn't dating. I wasn't interested in dating. Boom. Realized I was in love with one of my very best friends. So tell and us. That's like a whole nother book, but. I know. And I can't wait for that book to come out because like <laughs> me and uh, one of your. It will come. One of your um, super fans, Sarah Bull. Well, like oh, we finished. Sarah. We were like. And I just also want to say for the people who are listening, like Catherine, she says, yeah, I, I picked up and stuff like that. I was in one of her coaching programs. It was the next one from the Queen Sweep at the time called the Royal Keep. One week she was like, the earthquakes happened and 
so it was a weekly program, right? We were on a weekly program. One week she was like, yeah, I don't know what to do. Um, and then the um, uh, Fukushima power station blew up and then she was like, I'm out of here. But she was on the call the next week from Portland. <laughs> that was the thing. She was like, hi guys, I'm in Portland, I got out. And you know, I was like, what? <laughs> I, I was in Tokyo at the time. So I also experienced the earthquake. It was terrifying. I expected to look out the window and see match, just matchsticks everywhere, but it wasn't yeah. like that anyway. Uh, so yeah, that was massive. So there's that. You were badass, totally badass and, uh, and, and went back to Portland. And at that point you thought, you, you, you really realized, oh, I want to be here now. Is that right? Mm -hmm. There was like this kind of motif, wasn't there like a talisman, which was your butter dish? I think you had yes, this butter dish that blue you like. butter dish. Yeah. yeah. That somehow meant something for you. I don't know. It did. It did. Gosh, you know, I can't remember either. You're right. It was a really important talisman for me at the time. Isn't it funny how things can mean so much in the moment and then you can like live so yeah. many more stories, but you're right. I was like, yeah, there, oh, was, yeah. there was this blue butter dish. It was from anthropology. Yeah. Yeah. And even your mom, your mum and your sister came to a workshop that I ran. I think it was a mind mapping workshop. And even like your sister went, I don't think Catherine's coming back. Um, you had a different name then. I don't, I, I, I don't know if we could go yes. there because that's something I want to talk about as well. Um, but um, um, I don't think Catherine's coming back. There's this blue butter dish. And I was like, I know the butter dish. I don't think she's coming back either. Like we did it in hushed tones. So your mum couldn't <laughs> But it's so weird when you're part of these like high context groups. It's like, it just makes so much sense. We're weirdos, aren't we? I love it. I love it. Well, and then I bought the pink flowered couch and then that yeah, was it. That, and then was that was home. it then. Yeah, that was yeah, it. Like, that was it. Yeah. The butter dish and the flowered couch. Yep. Yeah. And, and then you had this beautiful kind of almost like retreat in Portland for a few years where you kind of had book clubs and you just loved it. You loved it there, didn't you? I loved it there. I was so happy there. I mean, I had, you know, challenges. And at the time I would have yeah. said, oh, there were hard things, but it was this really beautiful uh, kind of a dreamy season in my life. And I thought that my life was just going to go on like that, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and instead it changed radically. So the kind of next story is I fell in love with a Canadian who was married and had four kids. Um, and we did the very best we could, but it was messy as these things always are. And so there was a divorce, there was a year of waiting, there was a move to Canada, and then we got married and blended our families. You know, when you fall in love with one of your very best friends, there's not like, well, should we, should we try dating and see what happens? It was like, either you're going to get a divorce and we're going to get married or we're never, we have to walk away and never talk again. Right. Like there was no, like, let's see what happens. So I moved to Canada overnight. I become the mother of five. I went from being a single mom of one to a married mom of five. Um, and before I moved, my beloved, Nick, um, when I met him and fell in love with him, he was actually pregnant when I met him. He was identified female at birth and lived the first 30 years of his life, um, really just doing his damnedest to be a good 
girl, woman, um, had four kids, birthed four children, and finally realized there's a reason that this doesn't fit and it's because I'm a dude. So through many, many conversations, um, lots of kind of peeling back the layers, he finally was ready to tell the world, well, first our family and the world, um, that he's a transgender man. And so we went from being two lesbians to a husband and a wife and created this family together. And boy, talk about an adventure. It is both the most amazing thing I've ever done and one of the hardest things I've ever done. And honestly, the hardest part was living in the suburbs, (laughs) which sounds shallow, but it wasn't like growing my heart to include four more children. Um, It was like driving around in a minivan in the suburbs and it was all like strip malls and and big box stores. And I just kept feeling like, who am I? And how is this my life? Yeah. Yes. So it was an intense few years. And um, we actually ended up making a documentary about one, one little chapter of that journey, which is the movie that, that you referred to earlier, just another beautiful family. I'll link to that in the show notes, because that's a really beautiful story. Um, But also, low-key terrifying as well because Nick's had so many surgeries like major surgeries right um just two just two mm-hmm. just two okay yeah um that's interesting as well because I was this is I mean again off topic but let's just bring it up here why not is um well <laughs> let's say this and then not go anywhere with it okay I'm just gonna say it and then I'm gonna come back to my questions for you it's like I was like do you know what I'm nearly 50 I've had enough of having periods now I think I might have an elective hysterectomy do you know anybody who's had an an elective hysterectomy Sarah Bull goes Nick North and I was like oh yes but it hadn't even registered with me you know it's like Mm -hmm. I'm so I'm so in the now of your story that it doesn't that was like oh my god yeah that was a thing that that happened um Mm -hmm. So how did you become best friends was the first thing. Like that's my, what's your kind of origin story together? How did you become, well, whatever you're willing Nick to. Nick and I, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was through a mutual friend of ours named Kristen Kelp. Yeah. Um, and she hosted, well, actually originally, that's, let me back up. Originally it was a friend, a mutual friend named Jenny She who uh-huh. had us talk on the phone. Yeah. Um, and we hit it off right away and, and Nick was like, um, actually my friend Kristen is doing this event in a couple of months. And I was like, I am speaking at that event in a couple of months. So we had had this point of connection before we met in person. And um, we just really, we, we clicked, you know, you just recognize people sometimes. And we were totally platonic best friends. Nick was pregnant. He had um, our fourth child at the time, his third child, but now our fourth child wild with him she was a baby and um yeah we were just best friends and then we weren't <laughs> well we still are actually but yeah. then we realized oh no oh, no <laughs> how was that oh no terrifying mm-hmm. totally terrifying right because if you say something you potentially risk losing your best friend. And I say best friend, um, 
you know, we lived in different countries, right? So it wasn't like we saw yeah. each other all the time. But yeah. when I, what I'm, what I'm trying to express is that there was a kind of heart to heart connection that is hard to describe using any other words. There was this sort of soul connection um, that didn't really match the amount of time we spent together or the, you know, the hours that we like, I have so many dear, dear beloved best friends in Portland. We'd spent thousands of hours together. Right. But there was something about Nick and I, it was like, we saw each other that we, we recognized something in each other in a different way. Mm. But yeah. There was that moment of decision of like, well, we're either going to talk about this or we're not. And we talked about it. And then it was like, all right, we're either going to walk away and probably never talk again or we're gonna massively change our lives and be together. And we chose to be together. And he got the, he got the Catherine North treatment, which was like, we're going all in. Is, was, that, I'm sh- was that you who prompted <laughs> that? I'm sure it was like, just that kind of super coach kind of like, we're going all in or we're not doing this at all. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was definitely heightened by circumstances. Yeah. Right. Like you don't country move. Don't. Like I always forget that because it's all on the same continent. Mm-hmm. I always forget how tricky that that move is. Yeah. I, and also, you know, he was married and had a, a, a baby. And so you don't just up and leave a marriage because you think you might want to date somebody. I know? see. Yeah. Well, you don't. Yeah. You, you could. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So you were all in on that? Yeah. All in. Now, the other thing I'm curious about is what was it like for you going from being kind of a lesbian couple to a a different kind of couple? That's quite a big transition. Mm -hmm. It's a really personal question, but it's something, a point of curiosity for me. Yeah, no, I don't mind talking about it. Um, Well, you know, we, I didn't get to be a lesbian for very long. (laughs) (laughs) I had been, um, part-time right like short term I had I was I was queer I would have back then used the word bisexual I would now use the word pansexual but I didn't know the word pansexual back then Um, and I had known I was queer for a long time and I had been with both women and men but I was with a man when I had my eldest daughter and um, then didn't date anybody for a long time so it was like I mean I was queer but I wasn't sleeping with anybody so it didn't really matter Mm -hmm. and then um when Nick and I first got together, we identified as a gay couple. Mm-hmm. And then when he transitioned, it was very strange to suddenly be like a husband and wife. And especially because of where we lived, um, uh, we had a large family, we had a minivan, and therefore most people assumed that we were probably Mormons. <laughs> so it was very... <laughs> That's ironic. <laughs> yes, it was. Like very ironic. Yeah, yeah. Right. And so, but I mean, who else has five kids? Yeah. That's not true, but that's a, that's a yeah, stereotype. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. Sure, sure. And so um, yeah, it was. It was very strange to suddenly and because of where we lived, it was the kind of place where people would would sort of say, Oh, it's so nice to meet you. What does your husband do? Oh, and oh. <laughs> that was hard. That was hard to go from having been a, a self-determined you know, woman, yeah. right. Who had always made my own way. Yeah. Had always 
had my own identity as a creative and a professional person um, who then was a a single mom for years and to then suddenly be like, and so what does your husband do? And I just wanted to punch people in the face. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Amazing. And I can remember you saying something about like also, or, or was it, did I read something that Nick wrote where people were like, you have a very beautiful wife and things like that and he was like um why are you telling me I don't understand what's going on here he's like kind of navigating the world of dudes from a dude's perspective yeah it was definitely he definitely sees the world differently yeah and as he's gotten to move through it both first as a woman for so many years and now as a man he Mm -hmm. has now become the most ardent feminist um which was which was a big shift for him amazing um, and you know, those are his stories to tell. Um, mm-hmm. but I want to come back to that because I remember something like I can remember watching your story unfolding and never being like, oh, but always being like, oh yeah, oh, oh, I don't oh, oh. like it's just like it was this golden thread running through it all the time where it was like, yeah, okay. So um um so let's let's come up to date. So I wonder again, like I've just got this image of you in the suburbs, like uh, like my empathy, my empathy levels were going off when you were posting like stuff on Instagram and things like that. Do follow Catherine's Instagram. It's so good. And the, she's so frank on there. And, and it's just so lovely and fun as well. Aww. But um, yeah. I can't remember what it was or probably one of your missives where you were saying like, I just where you were like, oh, the suburbs, it's doing my head in living here or something along those lines. And you had this beautiful view out the back and then suddenly they started bulldozing that to build more houses. And it was like, oh my God, I was like, is she okay? And I was I went, not okay. I know you were not okay. I was really, I was like, really struggling. Is she gonna have another one of those moments when like, she left her marriage kind of, a previous marriage, like not, not that you would be this one, but I mean like, is she gonna have another one of those like, um, breakdown moments or was it more deliberate this time like how did you get to salt spring island i mean what how did you make that transition it was in the pandemic so let's bring us up to date yeah so (laughs) how did you make the decision i don't really know i don't (laughs) even know (laughs) because i know you'd flown over it and nick had been there with one of his friends is that right it was at salt spring island that he went with one of his friends no, I think okay. that maybe was a different trip. I beg um, your pardon. Yeah. No, no, that's okay. Um, I don't even know. Yeah. And that's the truth because there wasn't one moment of decision. There was, it was more like a, like a, you know, when, what are those things that you turn and all the little pictures, the, the little things floating? I'm not doing a good job of describing. Kaleidoscope. There we go. Uh-huh. It was more like you just, you turn it like slightly to the left and some of it would shift. And then you'd like turn it ever so slightly to the left and, and other things oh, would yeah. shift. And it was a combination, right? Because it wasn't just about me and Nick. Um, of his, the, the four younger kids have another parent. Our oldest, of course, has another parent, but he lives in on a different continent and has for a long time. And so it's a different arrangement, but we all lived the, the kids, other dad and Nick and I lived in the same town. They went between our houses. So it wasn't just something that we could just decide on our own. It was a series of things, shifting people's jobs, shifting, um, kind of opening up to new possibilities. Uh, the pandemic definitely made, I think all of us think, wait, we can work from anywhere. Where do we want to be? Um, and actually, originally, we had come up with a plan to move to the east coast of Canada, to Prince Edward Island, made famous by the Anne of Green Gables books, 
because land is incredibly cheap there. And Nick and I can work from anywhere. And suddenly Chris, the kid's other dad, was in a new situation where he could also kind of do his work from anywhere. And we were like, wait a minute, why do we live in this place that is so cold, that is still really expensive to live, where it's winter for like 17 months a year? Why? And it's, it's Canada. So it's Disneyland compared to the United States, but Alberta is still the, one of the more conservative areas of Canada. And, and I say Disneyland as a compliment, like, I mean, it's dreaming here compared yeah. to the terrible politics of the United States. But um, we were like, wait, why do we live here? This is not necessarily a great fit for our very rainbow family. Plus everything is, land is expensive. Um, and we we're like, great, we're gonna move we're going to move to this tiny island. You know, maybe we'll buy a house on Prince Edward Island or something. I, like, we're just dreaming. We were just like, just kind of dreaming and scheming. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, the dreams sort of take on more momentum and um, it all just kind of happened. It just, it, it just sort of, it just sort of shifted. We all kind of came to a place where we got on the same page that we wanted our kids to grow up among more green more connected to the earth in a place that was a little bit more friendly to our family and who we were. Um, yeah. So we are. you bought your house sight and see. We did. We bought our house sight and see and it was the height. So we had a plan. We told the kids in January that we were going to be moving that summer and we were going to take a road How trip. How did they react? And, oh, they were so angry at us. They were so sad and heartbroken and they hated us. We were the worst parents who have ever been. We had a plan that we, in April, we were all gonna get in the car and drive out and see it. And then we would, then we would start house hunting, except that in March, the pandemic hit and we couldn't go anywhere. Mm. Um, and also they were all home. And so we both started looking virtually for a house and we decided to move up our date. We were like, well, why are we waiting for the summer? let's go sooner. The kids can't go to school anyway. They've canceled school for the whole rest of the school year. Um, but it was the height of the pandemic and the owner of this house wasn't letting even realtors in to do virtual tours. So you could only see it from photos, but there were only three houses on the whole island that we could afford because most things were like over a million. And um, so there were three houses we could afford. We bid on one, we were outbid. We bid on the second, and they had accepted a bid like 10 minutes before our offer went. Through. Like, it was ridiculous. And we were like, I guess that third house, that's the one. And we were like, that's the one that you can't even do a virtual tour of. And we were like, well, oh, well, <laughs> we knew we really wanted to be here. There was one house that we could buy. And so we were like, I guess that's the house. <laughs> and so it is. Here I am. <laughs> Look, see, it's the house. Oh, I finally plugged my cord. Look at it. It's so beautiful. Who <laughs> had there's somebody in the garden? <laughs> That's Nick. Oh, is it? Oh, bless him. Something down oh. So yeah, here we are. A whole world away. So from oh. Tokyo to Portland, yeah. to Alberta to Salt Spring Island. I did not know any of this was going to happen. No. I did not have a plan. No, no, no. I, I, yeah. Um, I, so I love this. So this is, so this is, I just want to kind of say how, like, when I'm watching all of this, which I'm, you know, I thrilled to, cause I also moved to the seaside about a month and a half, no, no, a year and a half ago. But, mm -hmm. um, um, 
like I, I watch it and and something a penny drops for me so again I'm going to re reveal something here so when you were like I'm changing my name to Catherine North called me this I was like what why is she doing that so, like like it's my business like it's my <laughs> fucking business do you know what I mean but so it triggered something you're allowed to have an opinion though <laughs> yeah exactly but like it triggered something I was triggered I was mm -hmm. like fucking hell and then I was like wait wait because of course as soon as I'm triggered about something that's really none of my business I'm a coach right and also I've got right that's the problem with being so, a coach like, yeah so it. then I'm like yeah I'm like interesting what's this about and then I was like wait this is the most radical act of feminism because they're both just creating changing their names right so this is like and they're both changing their names to something they've completely created, right? And then they're calling themselves the Norths, which is kind of legendary. It's a le then I was like, wait, they're moving to Salt Spring Island. They've changed their names. They're basically writing their own book. They're basically <laughs> Anne of Green Gables. They're basically, and I was like, oh my God, they are geniuses. They are, they are, they are basically everything that Catherine talks about, all the books she loves, she's authoring her own tale or myth legend of her life. She's given herself <laughs> a name that's kind of cool and legendary. Now they're the Norths living in the North. I was like, this is so cool. And it's just so, and, and like, I'm still thrilled by this idea. And so then, but then that, that helped me because I'm completely bonkers. I'm like, well, I'm going to live in my own legends as well. I'm not changing my name because that's paperwork, but, <laughs> um, but you know, it's it's such a I, even yesterday I was thinking oh maybe me and Keisuke could change our names to something um, and then incorporate our new company because he's left his job and now he's working in my business and blah 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 but I was like oh but so anyway that's the tale of me going from being like why are they doing that not my business what's that about whoa yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the last few years has definitely given me the opportunity to walk my talk, right? Put my money where my mouth is. And you're right. This is exactly what I'm trying to do. I am trying to write not only like the stories down, but I am, I'm trying to write my life as I live it. I'm trying to make it an epic tale. Like it's and my it story. So let's make it a good one. Well, it bloody is an epic tale already, Catherine. So let's bring us up to date now. So you, you're on this Renault show on the Discovery Plus channel. <laughs> We're just just dropping that in there. Like, right. Like, yes. Yeah. So we so moved to Sun Spring Island, the house, not surprisingly, right? We knew it was going to be a disaster, but we was, whoa, even more, more of a disaster than we thought. So as, as luck would have it, a TV show had reached out to us a while before and was like, are you interested in being on a reno show? And I was like, I would love to do that. Too bad. I live in Alberta in a rented house. I cannot reno anything because I don't own a house. However, a few short months later, suddenly we're in Salt Spring Island, living in our own, in Japanese, you would say boro boro, <laughs> like totally falling apart um, house. And so I wrote him back and I was like, actually, hey, now we are going to do a reno. And by reno, I mean, I'm going to stick a post under my sagging sunroof because it's literally falling down by the minute. And HGTV was like, yeah, we don't do posts under sagging sunrooms, but let's do this instead. So we did, we moved in June. We shot the show in September. The kids all started new school. We, we started the show thing really in August. And then um, the kids all started new schools. We shot all of September tried to claw back our lives for October and November from the last 
like wild two months and now here we are yeah yeah I'm just oh, also I published both of my books during that time I published my memoir in the spring and, and then I published a children's book in the winter oh. it was a big year it was it a big a year big. I bought my first house my only house and that's with the help of your and support of your Patreon clients, right? Or your Patreon yes. group and community. And I just wanted to say on the subject, I was looking, I would always look at your kitchen and think, how the hell are they cooking for seven on in that kitchen? But I guess Japan's a great training ground. Like, yes. thank God you lived in Japan. So you were like, oh yeah, I know this kitchen. Let's get yep. to it. But if yep. you'd been living in like spacious kitchens with islands and stuff, which was your previous house, mm-hmm. but for, forever, you might've been like, oh, I'm sure you I were. literally said to my mom on the phone the other day, I was like, mom, I keep thinking about you growing up in Japan. You know, we had, there were three kids in our family. It was a five household family and we were, you know, missionaries. So we didn't have a lot of money. And so we were always scrunched into these little tiny rental houses that were probably made for like three people to live in. Yeah. Now I'm exaggerating, but whatever. The kitchens yeah. were tiny. Right. Yeah. And my mom is trying to cook both Japanese food, which has its own set of dishes and utensils. Plus like traditional American, like turkey dinners and spaghetti and meatballs and whatever. And so I was saying to her, I was like, mom, I keep thinking about you because I'm just shoving things in the most like absurd spaces because that's where they'll fit. And, and, and I was like, I take back every main thing I ever said about your kitchen. (laughs) Well, I've, I'm like that now we've still got a tiny kitchen, but again, this is where like, I'll go, go onto Instagram and look at the North's kitchen and be like, I'm good. (laughs) There's just two of us. (laughs) <laughs> yeah and you know for the show there's no like catering that there's no like so so I was cooking for all of these people because we're not close to anything and everything was shut down because of the pandemic anyway yeah. so I was like trying to make food for all these people and wear masks and be safe and it was it was not so and that's uh, and tell me where I'm wrong Catherine but that's not your gig is it like oh my god no I am a terrible cook <laughs> horrible cook I'm not good at managing lots of physical things I'm like oh let me write books let me dream up poems let's talk about mysticism oh yeah I'm all there um if you want to meditate deeply in silence for hours I'm your girl (laughs) making food for this many people on like oh it was it was whoa yeah like (laughs) imagine that kind of hi (laughs) here's some things (laughs) things <laughs> yes, I've gotten much better at it I've like found my inner farm wife I can, uh, <laughs> I've got some game now uh, that happened to me last year as well I was like because when when Keisuke was working in Tokyo my husband was working in Tokyo and this will mean something to you he was tra- his his commute was like two hours each way mm-hmm. so he would come back home exhausted and I literally wanted to have dinner ready for him as soon as he walked through the door. Like as soon as he got his suit off, I wanted to put something in front of him because he was so tired. And so that he really deserved that. But now he's basically, he gets, he got up with me this morning at six and like got the coffee ready, got the water ready, gets everything ready for me. He's really like, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm gonna close down very shortly, but you know, that gender roles thing, He's let go of it now because we have uh, my brother and brother-in-law have kind of perfectly modeled how not to do gender roles for us. <laughs> it's nice. like, look nice. over there and see what's happening. See that? 
that's what we're doing. So it's just going to be the ebb and flow of whoever needs what at what time and work that that out. And I've learned a lot of that from you and Nick, actually, as well, Catherine. And, you know, we often talk about your scoring system, mm. uh, Sarah Bull and I, and um, your, the give a fork system. The give My a fork system. Of Chris yeah. Yeah. The How much of a fork system. do you give? Yeah, yep. exactly. Or like, what am I willing to give up for you? Or just that kind of ebb and flow of what, if there's just things that need to be done and somebody needs to do them. Mm -hmm. And that's that. So mm -hmm. um, love that. So Catherine, let's close out. Are you happy there now? It's a very- I'm so How do you happy. Feel? I mean, I love your new website. It's gorgeous. Like what, when, like, how do you feel there? What does it feel like being there and waking up to that, that amazing view every morning? And stuff? I mean, I'm looking at it right now. I'm like looking at the trees and looking yeah. at the forest. Yeah. And I feel, I can feel my roots again. <gasps> like I can feel, you know, I think like trees, we all put roots down into the earth. And the hardest thing about being in Alberta was I couldn't find my energetic feet. I couldn't find the ground. I couldn't figure out how to put roots. And then that's not about Alberta. That's about me, just to be clear. It's a beautiful, beautiful place filled with wonderful people. But I had a really hard time there. It was, I was like a plant that couldn't figure out how to like suck nourishment into myself. And I was sort of just withering. And here it's like, oh, I can put down my roots again and I can start to feel myself. It's like, I can feel the life force like rising back up into me <laughs> and it's so good. And of course, life is over the top, right? Like we have five kids. I have two teenagers now and a kindergartner <gasps> and it, yeah, like life is totally wild and our house continues to fall apart. Like the fireplace broke last week and our car keeps breaking down and right. Like, it's not like it's all peaceful and you know, there's no, no, no laundry and meals and I don't know everything. But the difference is that I feel like myself again. I'm a yeah. different me, right? I'm not the me that was the kind of fancy person in Tokyo. And I'm not the me that was the like free spirited um, solo mom in Portland but I'm not the lost person that I was for a few years there as I was trying to figure it all out. I feel like me again. And I, I'm a new me. I'm a different me. I'm a mom who knows how to run a household of seven, sometimes eight when the kid's other dad comes and stays with us for periods of time. And right. So my capacity has expanded. My resilience is stronger. Um, but I'm also in a place where I can, like I can inhale again. Can you all hear my roosters? I don't know if you can hear them. No, they're so loud. <laughs> and you've also got about a million chickens. I've well. got like a million chickens. Well, girl, yeah. uh, a wise woman once said you're a fucking cathedral and that's what you just told me. <laughs> just for the listeners, that's Catherine's phrase. Um, yeah. babe, there are many ways to lead a life. What does that mean to you? it means that you can do whatever the hell you want <laughs> you can make terrible choices you can make great choices you can be a hero you can be a martyr you might as well pick something that's really interesting to you like maybe chickens and living in the forest doesn't appeal to you or maybe you don't want to move to the seaside like sarah did but i bet that there's something some secret life 
or a secret name or a secret book or a project or something that's like inside you. And you might as well, we're all going to do something. You might as well do that. Love it. Love it. Love it. That's it. Catherine, thank you so much. It's been an absolute joy speaking to you and filling in. A few. I've still got so many questions. But <laughs> <laughs> they're personal fun. ones because I'm like, but I want to fill in that bit there when I was on that particular coaching course with you because I went from six yeah. weeks to eight weeks to six months to one year. And it's like, I want to know all the other things, but I can't wait. Are you, are you planning another memoir besides Holy Heathen? I actually just a couple months ago decided that I am ready to write the next chapter. Yeah. yeah but I think first I'm going to put out a book of poems. Oh, I'm sharing them one by one in my Patreon group as they, as they drop. Ooh, well, like, this book like, took me 10 years to write. So hopefully the next one comes a little more quickly. We'll see. Well, you know what you're doing now, don't you? And, and that, that 10 years wasn't writing it, was it? it? Wasn't it trying to get it done in all different ways? And then, or was it like finishing it off? I think it was all of it. It took, it took a it. long it time. Took a long yeah. Time. yeah. Yeah. Well, there are many ways to lead a life and there are many ways to publish a book. <laughs> so, which is very, so, Catherine, thank you so much. Um, it's been a real joy and I've just really enjoyed it. I'm sure we could go and go and go and go. I'm so curious about everything, but thank you for sharing this part of your story and um, letting all our listeners know uh, your amazing way of leading a life. Uh, it's just such a brilliantly uh, rich and varied uh, group of people I've pulled together for these first uh, few episodes. I think there's about 25, 26 now. I'm having a break for the summer and coming back in September, but this is the most amazing way to close out this particular season. So Catherine, where can people find you? They can find me. Mm -hmm. at my website which is declaredominion.com mm -hmm. and I'm also declared dominion on all of the socials Instagram Facebook I don't even remember what the other ones are but you'll find me love it I love, love that at first I didn't understand declare dominion but now I get it it's like you have to declare what you're going to do otherwise you'll just avoid doing it or like just declare this is it this is what yeah <laughs> but that this is this is my life the declaration right? yeah. yeah that this yeah. is my life and yeah. it is my domain responsibility and also my gift and my kingdom and my playground yeah. that's how i like to look at it i love it i love it i love it i love it so at declare dominion we'll link to your instagram i think is the greatest place to find you uh yeah, declaredominion.com has beautiful photographs on it you can find out what what um catherine has to offer um also you can join her patreon as well and um yeah just remember you're a fucking cathedral everybody so fucking cathedral yeah <laughs> where did that come from okay thanks everybody bye thank you sarah <laughs> thank you so much for listening to this latest legend on the sarah Furuya legends podcast hop over to sarahfaruya.com where you can find the full complement of uh, legends interviews and conversations also you can like and subscribe over on itunes or wherever you find your podcasts i absolutely love these interviews and these conversations i have with these people i don't care about subscribers if i'm absolutely honest it just helps 
podcast to get more people over to listen to these fantastic people. I cannot wait for my next interview. I really hope you can get stuck in and find some juice and some delightful little nugget of knowledge or encouragement from these that will help you to create your story and to take your story forward and to weave and dream up and high dream your own story. Buoyed up by the stories of these people, I would call them ordinary, they're not, but these people, these beautiful legends who I've selected to help you on your way and to help me on my way. So please enjoy, share, subscribe. My Facebook page is Sarah Faruya Coaching. My Instagram page is at Sarah Faruya Coaching too. So get into it. Thanks. Bye.